Hey everyone, my name is Nachum Russell. This is my friend Hillary. This is my weekly show that I do, not just dogs, because we, we can talk about anything. Um, most of you know me as Russ, which is just as cool with me because nobody can say Nachum. Hillary and I first met at a seminar a couple years ago, at T3 seminar, which is really cool. Um, I met you as Heather, which yes, I, I think we should discuss uh -huh. that. But oh, yeah. <laughs> you, want to you want to introduce yourself to everyone a little bit? Tell everyone what you do before we get into this? Sure. Um, I am Hillary, and I run, own and run Good Wellesley Dog Trainings and Training, and I am a mom of five grown sons, and I have been a lifelong quarter of a century preschool teacher. And a couple of years ago, I was really into training my own dogs and started helping friends and family. And then I decided that I wanted to add that to be a professional dog trainer. And so I went to seminars and started following some people that I really respect and learned um, an awful lot. And a couple of years ago, I started my business. And unfortunately, due to COVID now, I had to close down my preschool. So at least temporarily for the next year. So in the meantime, I am full-time doing dog training and owner coaching and boarding and vacation stays and I'm having a ball. I'm, awesome. I'm a little bit in shock that I have six dogs here right now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really <laughs> yeah. cool. I've, I've enjoyed watching you grow and I think it's kind of cool that you got thrown into doing it full time. I mean, obviously I know you love being a teacher and you love your preschool life, yeah. but in a sense you got thrown into like, now I have to be a full-time dog trainer. What's that been like? Well, it's, uh, it's, it, it was, it was growing even, I mean, it was really growing before COVID happened. And I think that it just, it, like everybody keeps saying, it accelerated everything and it made me realize, okay, I just got to absolutely go for it because I've been sort of sitting on the fence between these two things for, you know, really over the past year. I, I was doing both of them and enjoying both of them, but I was burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. And it was getting to be, you know, not that, I mean, when you work for yourself and both of those, I completely work for myself. I've been self-employed for, you know, over 25 years. And when you're self-employed, you just work all the time because you're always coming up with new ideas and you always want to be there for your customers whenever they need you 24 7 you know so you have to set boundaries but that's how it's been for me it's been you know i was able to take the pack off um about trying to figure out how to make the preschool work during you know in this upcoming september and frankly that's been a real relief for me so i've been yeah. able to, to absolutely focus on honing my skills even more for the dogs and the owners that I work with. Awesome. Are you doing board and trains these days or mostly one-on-ones? Well, I started doing all one-on-ones and I have been, um, but about a year ago, I did my first board and train and then I have been doing more and more of them. And what I also found is that now with people being able, I live in New England, I'm just outside of Boston and in our area, we are, because the New England states have pretty low numbers right now, families that live around me are able to drive from Massachusetts to Maine or to New Hampshire or to Vermont. And a lot of them have been trying to do short getaways over the course of the last six to eight weeks. So right. one of the things that I extend to all of my one-on-one -on -one training clients is boarding service for just dogs that I know. And I have been, that's gone bonkers. That's, that's been wild. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so, 
So in the mix of having vacation stay dogs, I also have boarding trained mostly puppies. Um, I really do an awful lot of work with puppies and families that have never had a dog before. Do you like working with puppies? I do. Yeah. <laughs> they're really cute. Yeah. But wow, they're a lot of work. Yeah, I have like this love-hate relationship with working with puppies because I don't get them too often. Most of the dogs that I work with are at least six months old and usually have behavioral issues. It just seems to be what I attract, yep. um, which is cool. I'm nothing against it. I love, I love the behavioral issue dogs, but every so often I get like a puppy or like a, a 14 or 16 week old puppy. And then I'm like, this is going to be great. It's so exciting. Then there I am like waking up at like four in the morning to take it out to poop. Yeah. And I'm like, this is not fun. And then like it has an accident. I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. I like, know. The, the potty whole, train your own dogs. The whole, the whole potty training thing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning whether or not I, I want to have sort of a, a, some sort of way to let people know that their dog needs to be almost fully potty trained before they yeah. come. And for the most part, they have been. But one of the things that in working with the puppies, I have a real advantage in is that I have three small, well-trained dogs yeah. and they, they work with me. I mean, they really work with me in the yard, down in my training room. Um, their kennels are next to all of the um, boarding and staying dogs crates. And the power of the pack is amazing. I mean, my dogs, because they behave calmly and because I, because I, I expect and ask that of the dogs that come and stay here, the dogs that come, for the most part, just really fall in line with what my dogs are doing. Yeah. So um, that has really helped with, you know, right now I've got a 14-week-old but a 14-week-old puppy who's bigger than all of my dogs at only 14 weeks, I think he's going to be about 60 pounds full grown. Um, so it's kind of hysterical to see this baby behavior coming out of this dog that's yeah. considerably bigger than my own dog. And, you know, he's been a little bit of a challenge, but I charge more for puppies because they're an awful lot more work. Yep. And, and people seem to understand that. So, you know, I think it makes sense to them. Something that I've been doing with, because everyone decided that, COVID is the best time to get a puppy, which oh, yeah. <laughs> I understand it. And so I've been getting a lot of people hitting me up with like brand new puppies and they have all these issues and questions. And I've been doing a lot of like puppy FaceTime sessions, right? Where we really just cover like potty training routine, like how to make it work in two weeks where your dog can be potty trained. Yeah. And one second, mama bear. And how to like manage the home and keeping a leash on the dog, you know, all that basic stuff. And it's like an hour and we just, and then if a dog does this, then they, if they do decide to do training when the dog is, let's say, 14 weeks old or whatever, then at least I'm getting a dog that has a bit of a foundation and like the potty training is usually down. You know, it's usually done. It makes it a yeah. lot easier because I hate potty training. Like I want a puppy, but I don't want to potty train it. I would actually love to pay someone to potty train a puppy for me yeah. because that's yeah. the one part that's not fun. But I don't, just, I don't mind it that much. It's just a matter of being committed to using your crate around the clock. And yeah, I, I ran into a lot of people that I, I, I don't think people really talk about that very much. I mean, it makes it so much easier, but you have to you, you just have to be willing to literally. And this is one thing that I tell all of my, my new puppy clients. I say you've got to have a house rule. And aside from having the puppy on a schedule of activity and rest, you have to have a house rule that and literally put it on the dog's crate. If you open this crate that dog has to immediately yeah. go outside 
and then you're responsible for everything. You can't just let it roam around and say, oh, I thought someone else was watching the puppy. You know, it's, it's just, it has to be 24 seven in the beginning. And then the potty training happens like that. But yeah. if you get lax, if you get lax it, in it, it doesn't work. It kind of can become a natural thing. If you just like the way you said it, if you just make it that it's, it's just part of life, go outside whenever. So you, you attract a lot of little dogs, right? I, I well, a lot of, I would say it's half little dogs or, and half um, full-size doodles. I attract long hair dogs. <laughs> gotcha. you know, I, I attract designer dogs. <laughs> yes. Cause, but then again, I mean the, the area that I live in that tends to be the types of dogs that people get, um, yep. you know, I would say 75% of the dogs in our town are dogs from breeders that, that people have, you know, made a decision that they want X type of oodle and they go out and they find a breeder and they get it. You know, I certainly do help um, people who, you know, I've helped several people that have rescued dogs in the last few months. And that's wonderful and very fulfilling as well. And frankly, for me, it's really nice to be able to get my hands on some full-size dogs that yeah. aren't puppies and that just have walking issues and reactivity issues. Um, but for the most part, the people that are calling me, because of course my Facebook page, my Instagram feed and my website are filled with my three dogs that are, you know, like the little three Havanese, Javiero fluff balls. Yeah. And so when people see that, I, I think if you were scrolling through trainers and you had, uh, you know, a, a power breed dog, you'd probably scroll past me. <laughs> right. Understandably, it looks like that's your thing. But yeah. I think it's actually really cool. I remember, what's her name? Rosie? No, what's Rosie. your little dog's? What's Bella. your little red dog? Bella. The little red one is Bella. Okay, yeah. sorry. It's been a while since I Don't saw worry. her. But I remember when I met her and I was so excited. At that point, I was working in a doggy daycare. So little dogs, like, forget about it. Training for them was off the table. Like, that wasn't even a discussion. And I was so excited to see a little dog that had rules and ran around with this little e-collar on and, like, mm -hmm. was happy. And she was jumping and doing things with you. And, like, she was really well trained. And I think it's an awesome thing to have that because it breaks the stigma, you know? It's yeah. so rare that I get a small dog. And it's not because they don't exist around here. And it's simply because like people think they don't need training, right? And the way I always look at it is like, and you're you're an owner of three little dogs, so this is gonna make sense to you, but imagine if what a little dog gets away with, like jumping on people, barking, growling, even biting. Imagine if my 95 pound Rottweiler mix did that, right? I know, I know. It wouldn't be nice, no, <laughs> you know? No, 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 But the little dogs get like a free pass. And I think it's very cool that with your three specifically, and then like, all the dogs that I see you training, a lot of them just happen to be that style. They yeah. break that stigma of like cute dogs can still be behaved and little dogs can still be behaved. And I think that's really awesome. It's something that the dog world and the industry needs. So it's cool to well, see that. I mean, I'm really committed to that. I, and I try to put out information daily to any dog owner, but I also try to, I really do tailor the information that I put out, you know, I would say more than 50% of the time to owners of small dogs and why they need to be trained. I, I mean, I, I love my dogs and I mean, they're small, but I can't stand little yappy, obnoxious, untrained dogs. And I'm a small dog owner, but I know that that's stress. I know that that's an insecure dog and I don't want that for the dog. And there's, and, and I don't want that because that's going to cause all the big dogs to react. And it's so unfair. 
because you know people who don't know any better and people who don't understand it doesn't take anything different to train a small dog the only thing yeah. it takes that more to train a small dog which is hard is that you have to bend over so much yes. more if they're so low to the ground i mean you can put them up on a table to teach them positions and things but honestly it it really it's it's in many ways more physically exhausting to train little dogs because they're way down on the ground and you know people just it's easier just pick up the yappy dog and stick it under your arm and walk away i mean i did that way way back when i got my very first one and the one that was reactive um which isn't bella but you know i was doing all the wrong things just like the people that i help um or the people that i see who aren't getting help right. do and i you know and i feel for them but i feel for the dogs too so what made you switch? You had this little reactive dog, and now you have these three like awesome trained off-leash dogs. Like you guys should just follow her page just to see three little dogs running off-leash. I think it's amazing. Yes, but follow my page, please. Um, what actually it was the little reactive one didn't. It wasn't what changed me. What what enabled what caused me to find balanced training and find more effective training tools than what I was seeing on the mass media with all, all the positive only nonsense, um, was my first small dog, who is my biggest small dog. And she is a whopping 17 pounds. Um, <laughs> I could not walk her on a leash. She, wow. we call, they used to call her the hound, by hound. Um, they used to, literally, she had her nose on the ground from the day we brought her home sniffing and weaving and dragging. And although you would think that you can't be dragged around by a 17 pound dog or back then when she was new, she was little, literally under 10 pounds. But when small dogs are dragging, they're going. Yeah. So you let them do it because you don't want to be cutting off their air supply. And I tried martingale collars. I tried, you know, we all start with flat collars. I tried different types of harnesses. And of course, those were all absolutely the worst because when you're holding a leash in the middle of a dog's back, you have absolutely no directional um, guidance for them or control whatsoever. So that didn't work at all. And I was following, you know, some big name popular trainers and the ones that I saw useful advice all had big dogs. And I didn't see anything to address the little dogs. And so then I just stumbled onto, you know, the good old video of, you know, stop leash pulling in five minutes done by Jeff Gelman. Yep. And I was working out one day at the fitness center that I was at and I was watching this and the woman that he was helping, she, he shouldn't have a small dog, but she probably had a 30 pound dog. And he was talking about prong collars. And I was like, well, I don't know what one is, but maybe I'll go find out. And then I, of course, encountered all of the evil, evil, evil stuff about prong collars and e-collars. But I was like, but what's what everything that I've tried, which is essentially everything that there is. Like, what is there to lose? It didn't work. Yeah. yeah they, none of it worked. And the minute that I put that on and learned how to do it effectively, everything changed. And and my dog was happy and I was happy. And, every, and then the whole family could walk the dog. And I was like, oh, you know, the light dawned. Um, and, you know. And, and then I had the second dog already at that point. She was walking, but then she was reactive. Right. So then we dug deep and, uh, and and got into the whole, you know, everything. And That's awesome. <laughs> so now you're, you know what's cool about yours? Like 
Okay, so this is the typical story that everybody has, right? They had their dog, they couldn't figure it out, all this stuff. Like yeah. the average trainer has a story like this and it's cool and I always like to hear it. But what's what I think I like a lot about yours is that, you, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you're kind of doing the thing that you couldn't find. Meaning like there were no people showing yeah. with little dogs. They had exactly. their German Shepherds and their Pitbulls and all these big tough dogs like, okay, put a prong collar on a pit bull. Like he's big and tough, he could handle it, right? Yeah. And then like, you, but you had the same struggle as that big pit or whatever it is with your little fluff. And when you finally realized like this could work for the little dog too, and you started doing it, now you are the one in the industry that I see pushing that a lot, which I think that's very awesome. You're, you're being Thank the you. thing that you were looking for in the industry. I am. I am trying very hard to do that. And, and, you know, there's just nothing, obviously it's a business and I'm doing it to make a living now, but there's really nothing more rewarding to me than when I have that lesson and the owner just has that breakthrough and they go, Oh, this is what I, this is what we were missing. Nobody said this before. Nobody told me that. And you know, it's not just about the leash walking. It's about setting limits and saying no to your dog. Yep. I mean, I, because as I said in the beginning of the show, I've got five sons, no daughters, five sons. And I learned early on, um, really early that it was sink or swim for me as mom. <laughs> and I started down that whole parenting road, um, not saying no, just trying to keep my kid, my, you know, little baby and then my toddler happy all the time. And boy, was that a miserable failure. So I tell my um, third, fourth and fifth child that they can, children, that they can thank their oldest brother and the second oldest brother for being so impossible that mom got her, you know, things. Got all these out. rules now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you were teaching preschool. So I'm guessing that's like four or five year olds, right? It's not even. I have my program was Montessori preschool for children in Massachusetts. The in order to go to preschool in September, your child has to be either three years old or two years and nine months. And the market that I have been serving for 25 years are two to two and a half year olds for that transition year when they haven't made the cutoff for nursery school, but their parents know that they're ready for something and they're ready for social. It's really socialization. What I was doing is puppy socialization with children. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so it was all two, two year olds who turned three during the year, but no fours and fives. I mean, these are little kids. Gotcha. So were you even teaching these kids or is more oh, just yeah. like, Oh no, I was absolutely teaching them, but, um, you know, beyond the, beyond counting and basic sounds of their first names of their, you know, their letter and colors and sorting, which is, you know, Montessori has got all sorts of different ways that you can teach without right. using a written curriculum. But what I was mostly doing was teaching children, how to separate from their mother or primary caregiver, how to um, be okay in a small group of children, how to pay attention to a teacher and how a teacher is different than a parent and that we care very, very much about the children and care about the whole group, but not enough that we're gonna sacrifice everyone's safety or everyone's well-being to indulge the children's every whim, which unfortunately goes on at home a lot. Right. So that's very cool stuff because it's a, it's an education that is like obviously very necessary, but not formal, right? It's exactly. not like you're sitting in a classroom and all that. How does yeah. that, how or if does that carry over to what you do now with dogs? Um, 
it carries over an awful lot because uh, because people their people have substituted their their puppies whether they are big breed puppies or small or medium for their babies where i live a lot of people don't get a dog until all their children are in school and then they've got that empty nest thing yeah. and so then they get their first dog and then they get the puppy in their home and they baby it and it's sweet and little and soft and fluffy and everybody you know the whole world revolves yeah. around the puppy and then the puppy they don't, you know, people don't understand how much more quickly than a human child, a canine puppy is maturing. <laughs> and yeah. when they think that that, you know, they, they think in their heads, the owners think that the baby is just learning to walk. And in reality, their puppy is already an adolescent. Yep. <laughs> and it is, it is taking advantage not only of them, but of the world. And it's kind of an unruly mess. Um, so I, you know, my, what I did with two-year-olds, the very first thing that dog owners have to do is is turn over the leash to me they have to trust me enough just like the parents had to turn over their child at the school door and trust me and do their you know they have to do their homework they have to be comfortable with my teaching style and who i am but when that dog owner hands me the leash whether it's for a boarding um train or whether it's for a vacation stay or whether we're in the yard together doing one-on-one -on -one lessons but they're giving me the control of their dog and letting me lead it in a way that they haven't yet learned how to do. Um, that's an awful lot like helping the parents learn to let go of the control of their child. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because it's that that letting go that allows them to get the help and to get what they really need, right? And yeah. a lot of, I think like, so I do, I do only board and trains these days. I've dropped one-on-ones extremely occasionally. Like during the beginning of COVID, I did like a couple one-on-ones here and there because I wasn't doing board and trains. Yeah. But a big thing that I see like a lot of people do struggle with is like giving the dog up for like the three weeks. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And the way I explain it when, because I understand, like I always tell everyone, I'm primarily a dog owner, a dog trainer second, right? Like my dogs are going to come before any of your dogs, you know? Yeah. And, and I get the idea of like not giving your dogs up, not sending them somewhere else. And like, if I, I don't go away anymore, but if I were to be able to go away and not have to take my dogs with me, right. Mm -hmm. Like, I would struggle about where they're going to go, what's going to happen with them, because I don't trust anyone with these dogs, you know? Yeah. And I understand that whole perspective that dog owners have. The thing that I think is very powerful about giving the dog to someone else is similar to what you're saying, like about the children, mm -hmm. is you are, you're separating, you're teaching, like you were saying, you're teaching the kids that it's okay to be separate from mom and dad, right? Yeah. And that it's okay to be in the world and it's okay to be around other children and everything that you're teaching them essentially is like what we need the dogs to learn which is part of why i think board and trains are awesome yeah, but it's like forcing the dog into that state of you're separate from them especially like dogs that have anxiety issues and things like that you're gonna have to deal with it now without that over coddling and that yeah. love and affection and mushiness it's like let's just throw you into it and now it's time to deal right yeah. and it's actually like a lot of people are like, so, but isn't my dog going to be so stressed out from leaving? Isn't my dog going to be anxious, going to be sad, going to miss us? And like, yes, the answer is yes, mm -hmm. but that's the benefit. Like that right there is the benefit is teaching them to get through that and to be independent. So mm -hmm. it's an interesting perspective how you have it coming from the mom, teacher, child perspective. And I'm sure you can use that a lot to use that example to relate to these owners who are mostly probably also parents, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I always related to the parents of the children that I was helping because I had been in their shoes and I had had the same types of letting go difficulty experiences and setting limit difficulty experiences with my own first two children. And I, I tell every dog owner that I help when I, when I describe to them a different way of looking at the way that they're behaving with their dog and how the dog's interpreting it, I always, always assure them, and it's absolutely the truth, that I did all those things too. Yeah. I, I made all of those mistakes. I did all of that overindulgent stuff. And I found that the dog was happier when I started doing things differently. And, you know, it's, I, I think psychologically, because these little dogs, they, many of them, they really stay looking like puppies all their mm -hmm. lives. It's a little bit harder for the owners to get over that hurdle um, when the dogs stay looking kind of like toddlers. Yeah. And, and that's why I do so much out and around my town. You know, I, I put my name on shirts and I, I try to walk near main streets, not necessarily because I'm trying to drum up business, but because I'm trying to show people what little dogs can in fact do. Um, because it's really important to me. But, you know, I had a, I, I've got a boarding train coming up um, in a couple of weeks and the owner, the, I, the arrangements were made with the husband and the wife called me up and she said, listen, I, I, I'm really worried because he's never been away from us before. So I was wondering if he could do a drop-in day with you and then we take him home sometime in the week before and then we'll come back and do the boarding train. And I said, I had to explain, I said, I totally understand why you are asking that, but what you're doing is loading human emotions onto a dog. And the reality is, is that my dog, my pack of dogs are here to help your dog. But if we do what you say, my dogs are gonna experience that dog going through separation trauma and upset and whining and all of that twice and so by the time your dog is here at the board and train on day two and day three, my dogs are still going to see your dog as the one that's always freaking out. And your dog is going to have the separation experience twice yeah. instead of once. So, you know, once I explained it to them that way, they totally got it and understood. But it just, you know, the human mind goes to the way that we think, not the way dogs think. Yeah, I think it's totally, you know, dog trainers and we all say it and we all hear it everyone talks about like don't humanize a dog and i think it's actually an interesting discussion if we should humanize dogs or not but it's totally natural to humanize everything yeah, right sure. because it's the only way that we see the world is through human eyes we're right. never gonna see it through a dog's eyes and through some other whatever's eyes like we're human we're gonna see a human world you know and right. it's, it only makes sense as much as we wish we can be like learn to think like the dog and talk like the dog and all this like cute phrases that we all say, but like the reality is it's not possible, right? We're right. humans, we're gonna think like humans. Now our intellect is higher so we can learn to understand how they think and understand how they communicate, but we can't think like them, right? So humanizing, especially now for us, that's easier because this is what we do. We live this like dog training life, right? But for the average dog owner, it's the most normal thing, the most expected thing is to humanize that animal to the furthest extent possible, right? So when it's a right. baby, we hold it and treat it like a baby, right? That's what I was with my first dog. 
And like, yeah. that's, it's, to me, it makes no total sense. I think the part about humanizing that people miss is like, if you really want to humanize a dog, then you would actually treat it a lot differently than you do, right? Because let's take like a, I don't know, an easy one, a dog that poops in someone's house, not even like an extreme behavioral issue, just pooping in a house. I guarantee you that if an adult, and we're talking adult, not like baby, baby, right. I guarantee you that if an adult human walked into your house and pooped on the floor, he's not going to be allowed to stay there, right? Not going like, to be invited back. Right. No. And it's, it's a silly example. And that's why I use it on purpose because like it, it makes a lot of sense. It's clear logical. So if you want to humanize dogs, do it all the way. That's what I think. Like, yeah. think about the boundaries that you would set for all these behavioral issues that you allow your dog to do because it's just a little baby, but it's right. really two years old or whatever, yeah. and you're allowing it to get away with it. You wouldn't allow an adult human to get away with that. Did we freeze? Um, I I can still hear you, but your picture froze. Oh, that's so weird. Um, let me let me try. Oh, now I just see me. Second. Oh, I'm gone. Well, I can hear you, Russ, and I can see me, but I can only I can only see me. Okay, give me one second. Sure, it Let's happens. See if we can fix this. All right, guys, it's the Hillary show now, so she's going to entertain you. Hi, guys. <laughs> so, how many dogs do you have with you now? While I'm trying to get this, I um, have in my in my kennel right now. I have my three Havanese, Katie, Lizzie, and Bella. Bella is the one that Russ met and then i have a five-month-old golden retriever puppy and hello and i have a um i think a 14 week old australian cobber dog which i had never heard of before yeah. and it's kind of um a slightly fancier australian labradoodle and i also have another havanese who is a sibling from another litter to one of my dogs that's cool. Yeah. So I've got is kind of one medium, one big, and four small right now. Is a cobra dog an actual breed, or it's just a fancy name for a doodle mix? Um, I, I looked it up before they came because I didn't know what that was when right. they filled out the form. And it apparently is a an actual breed that originated in Australia and is recognized by the Australian Kennel Club. Cool. Interesting. And it has a more specific genetic pool than American Labradoodles. What I found out by looking this up, did you know that American Labradoodles, I just thought they were poodles and labs mixed, but that's not true. American Labradoodles have Cocker Spaniel in there too. Okay, that's and, weird. And the Cobber Dogs do not. They are pure poodle and labs. That's what I discovered when I was doing this research is way back when, for whatever reason, and I don't know, but maybe it's what makes them so wiggly because poodles aren't that wiggly and, yeah. and labs aren't that wiggly, but boy, Cocker Spaniels sure are. So um, my understanding of what I read is that, <laughs> is that most Australian Labradoodles, especially the mini ones, they have some um, Cocker Spaniel in there. That is so interesting. I have a Labradoodle with me now. He's far from mini. He's like half my height. He comes uh -huh. up to like my waist and oh he's the one that had his legs up in the air in the picture. Yes, total yeah. goofball. Like maybe goof. yeah. goofy. Like he's I can't train him seriously. Almost every time I work with him, I laugh at some point. Like mm -hmm. just he's just a funny dog. So when I first met you, or when I first became friends with you on Facebook, I became friends with uh 
Heather, was it Heather. the same last name? Heather Ratcliffe, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yes. then I met you at, at a T3 seminar that we both did mm -hmm. together, which was awesome. Yeah. And you switched your name tag to Hillary. Well, that was in, on the very first day of T3. Um, they were talking all about the personal growth and the goals, you know, we, T3 theoretically was all about dog training, but it really wasn't. It was really right. um, all about personal growth and small businesses and, and expanding yourself and confidence. And I had been using the name Heather online um, in social media for a couple of years before that. And it was for a ridiculous reason, but but what I won't go into here, but the reality was I was really hiding. I was hiding behind the name Heather because I didn't want the people that knew me as a preschool teacher, Hillary, to, you know, to sort of say, well, why she, why she want to become a dog trainer? What is she doing this? You know, doesn't she care about our children anymore? Doesn't she want to be a teacher anymore? So I was, I had never, before I even thought about this dog training um, business, I had not been on social media at all. I wasn't on Facebook. I barely knew what Instagram was. Um, before I even got on Facebook, I was, I, I was just watching um, a lot of Periscope, which was big several years ago, right. of, of dog training Q&A shows. That's how I discovered, you know, the, the, the prong collar that changed my, my life and my dog's life. But I had not been on social media really at all. And I had this old account that was under the name of Heather and I just activated it to try to do something else that wasn't even related to the dog thing. It was related to um, a friend's clothing business. And then I met all these people and became Facebook friends and actually interacted with them so much that then I was embarrassed to tell them that Heather wasn't really my name. Yeah. So I, I outed myself at T3 and, and, and owned my, my identity as Hillary in front of the group on the very first I day. That. I yeah. think I was next to you and I was like, I knew you from Facebook, right? We had connected on Facebook a little bit beforehand and because yeah. I had all these dog people, Facebook dog friends, whatever. And I was like, okay, it's so cool. I get to meet this Heather in real life. Like, this is my mind, right? Like I actually recognize the face from this group of strangers. Yeah. And then you sit down and you, you, you like had it prepared. It was like very, very prepared thing. You had your Hillary one and you switched it. And I was like, what the hell is just yeah. happening? <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? But I, afterwards I was thinking about it. I actually think it's a very cool thing that happened. You know, like you, you, became you like you were you and I remember you switched your your Facebook name also that day yeah and I remember you talking about the idea of like that you were kind of hiding right and you yeah. weren't being your authentic self right and to me that was the cool part of it it was like I'm being me openly authentically yeah. me and, it and was I, cool. during the break I went out and walked around the block and I like did a I did a live video and I never go live, but the yeah. reception was good down there. And I did a live video and some of the people that were so involved with me back then were like, what? You're kidding. And then when I went to the hotel that night, I like, I, I sat up and I, I sat up in the bed and I told the story of how it was that I, that I got myself, you know, closeted into this, this Heather identity and that that was going to be no more. And that I, you know, I knew that people who really wanted to interact with me and still wanted to be my friend would, would be my friend, you know, with my real name. And forgive yeah. me for having deceived them a little bit for all that time. But, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was fun. very cool. Well, thank you.
Thanks. What's your favorite part of what you do now of being uh, a full dog trainer? My favorite part, I think my, I think the best part is those breakthrough moments with the, with the one-on-one -on -one clients when we're, you know, I mean, everybody, when they call the, not the puppies, you know, I, 50% of the work that I do is new, new puppy family coaching. And that's very rewarding and it's warm and fuzzy and everybody feels good. But what really my favorite part is helping the people who've had a dog for a year and a half or two years, like I did with my first dog and they can't walk it. And they're so despondent because they're not getting what they wanted out of the dog human relationship. And it's not just that they're not able to take the dog for a comfortable walk. They're not, when you're not leading your dog, you're not connecting with your dog and bonding yeah. with your dog in the way that you really want to be bonding. And that's why we get a dog is because we want that companionship bond. And when I can help them just through leash handling skills and slightly different equipment and confidence, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm building up owner's confidence and that makes me feel great. I love that. Love it. Do you find that you, like, I know you follow a lot of different dog trainers, right? Mm -hmm. And do you find that you have to change the way you would explain things or describe things because of the fluffy, cute little dog thing that you mostly work with? I do. I, I do to some degree. I try to be authentically me and right. I'm not a person who, I don't sugarcoat things. And but I, but I do care about the feelings that people have, not only about their little fluffy dog, but also about how they are showing up or not showing up for their dog or what they feel like. If I, I'm really conscious of people's feelings of failure and I don't want that. I wanna help them, but I, there is no, I have no interest in making anybody feel bad. What I do do is spend an awful lot of time when I first meet people explaining not only that I was just like them, but that the vast majority of the mass media, even in this day of the internet, gives new dog owners bad information. Yeah. So, but, but is it easier when someone's having trouble walking their dog and it's a 50 pound dog? Is it easier to get them to, you know, man up and just walk the dog? Yeah, it is. It's, they have to be, they really have to trust me more when it's their 12 pound dog and it's being a little turkey and, and we need to correct that so that their relationship can get better. But that's why I put out so, sometimes I feel like I'm just like, oh my God, people don't wanna hear from me again. But they then, do. I, then I get my Gary Vee thing in my ear and I say, that's not your call, that's the market's call. Exactly. And somebody needed to hear the one thing you're putting out today, even if it's only one person, um, so I just keep pumping it out and, um, yeah, I do have to be a little bit softer, particularly with people that have little soft fluffy dogs. Cause that's just the reality. Yeah. And yeah. how do you change? Like, what's the difference? Like say you're work working, like, I understand what you're saying. Like if you're working with like, I don't know, like even a big golden retriever, like it doesn't have to be like a tough dog, but just a bigger dog. It's easier to say like, all right, pop that leash. Right. Whatever. Like, right. and the person's well, like, Oh, the heavy dog is literally pulling the person right. down the street. Whereas the light dog, the little dog, the person is going along for the ride because they don't want to be doing that choking yeah. thing because they don't want to hear the reverse sneezing getting triggered in their dog. Yep. And 
when I say, you know, what I will t say to them is, is let's just take a deep breath and stop. I say, let's not pull against the dog, but let's plant our feet and not move. If we just plant our feet and not move, we're not going to yank, we're not going to be harsh, then we are able to communicate through the leash more effectively than if you feel <laughs> like you're fighting against something, but you feel like you are, I don't want anyone to ever feel as though they are bullying their little dog. Right. So because of that, you know, it, it really helps that they have, almost everybody who finds me has already seen my videos. They see me with my dogs. They see how I walk them. They see me with other people's dogs that come and stay with me and I, and while I'm training them. So I think it's very, the, all of the, the resources that we have at our disposal right now on the internet have, I don't know how I would have started this business without doing all of that. But at the same time, I also would say, I can't imagine, I mean, look, I'm, I'm halfway between 50 and 60, okay? So I didn't have any of this. And most of the trainers are in my area um, are also in my age range or a little bit older, and they're not doing any of that. They're stuff. the one doing it. I'm the one doing it, and my business is flourishing. And it really, really is true that you know that if you don't have a social media presence in, you know, 2020, you don't have a business. Yeah. And even though I had to shut down my preschool at least for a year, if not longer, and I don't know how long that's going to be. I didn't, I had a website for my preschool for like the last 15 years, but I never had Facebook and I never had Instagram. And a year ago, I changed all of that. When I came home, you know, it was two years ago, we were at T3, but I, you know, six months into that year, I said, you know what, if I want to keep that preschool going, I got to get social media going for that, which is tricky because you're not allowed really to, you're not so allowed to show images of children, right. but you want to give people a feel for what you're doing. And so I had to, I had to learn all of that stuff. And no, it's not easy for me to learn new things. And no, I tried, I, I tried to get on TikTok and I failed, but <laughs> I'll push myself again, or, or maybe I'll jump on the, you know, whatever the next big thing is. But it's well, just by the really time important. we figure TikTok out, it's going to be gone. I know, I know. So I, I, I lucked out on that one, I guess. Yeah. But, um, but something else new is coming. And I probably, had I pushed myself through learning how to use TikTok, I probably would have had some skills that I don't currently have for whatever's coming next. Right. You know how that is. Um, what's, been your, what's been your biggest struggle since, I guess, the past two years is when you've really, like, taken this pro? What has been my biggest struggle? Hmm. I think my biggest struggle is not staying up until 11 o'clock at night posting and making content and answering emails and um i give out my phone number too much so yeah. in the beginning i was telling people email or text me anytime and i'm just not a person that can leave things to the next day so i like can't sleep at night unless i answer everything right away yeah so i've had to rein myself in and my expectations and get a little bit better balance with um my family, my husband, um, my own dogs. You know, you always hear dog trainers say, oh, I realized my dogs weren't getting what they needed. I, I don't think I've gone 
down that into that hole with my dogs, but I have to be really conscious of it. Yeah, that's a tough one. I really keep it up with them. Yeah, that's definitely a tough one. I struggled with that. I reached out to a couple of trainers to talk about it. Like, what was it like two months ago when I realized I was like, I'm not getting to enjoy my own dogs the way I should. Like I have three awesome dogs and we worked our ass off to get them to where, be where they're at. And like, yeah. I'm not enjoying them the way I should. Like I, by the time I was done working, like four, I had, I think, I think I had five boarding trains at the time or wow. something. And I had a, a dog boarding with me and I was like, this is crazy. And like my own dogs are not getting like, the attention that they deserve like of course they're getting their walks and everything like guys don't worry they're getting fed but like they but deserve that relationship be, thing yeah, yeah they deserve to be going for like a, a really long walk with me or going off leash or going yeah. swimming like something fun that they work for and that we work towards and i deserve it too like it's like i love my dogs and i love that relationship and i realized i was neglecting it so it's like definitely i think that's one that a lot of trainers struggle with at times because we care so much about what we're doing, right? That sometimes, and and also the other end of it is like most of the time our dogs kind of just, at least with at least is how it is with me, they just kind of like fall into like routine, right? So yeah. if I have a dog that I'm training and my dogs are able to be around that dog, like I'll have one of my dogs just hanging out in the corner, like laying on his bed. Or right. if I'm going for a walk, I'll grab one of my dogs and we'll go for a walk together. Or if I could do a group walk, like depending on the dogs, obviously. So they kind of become part of what's going on that we forget that they deserve us alone also, right? Yeah. Without all these right. other extra dogs in right. the house. Yeah, and another part of that that I, that I need to work on even more is that my dogs, in, you've, you've got three dogs, right? Yeah. Okay, the dogs even deserve one-on-one -on -one time without yeah. the other dogs along too. So yeah. I have to remind myself every now and then I've got three, which means if I take one out, I'm not just leaving one home alone, but they need to be separate. They need to have that one-on-one -on -one time. Just like if you have a family of kids, you need to do things individually, at least you know periodically with them. It's so easy to, to, to treat everyone as a pack and you know a group yeah. all the time. And it's, it's important to, you know, to find the time and to set boundaries around all of that work time, even you know, even when things are as crazy as they are right now and, you know, everybody just wants to survive and keep their business right. going. Um, you, you've got to, you've got to have balance. That one is definitely the hardest one for me. I haven't thought about it in a while. So you're totally calling me out <laughs> um, because I don't give my dogs one-on-one -on -one time. I mean, one of them, she gets one-on-one -on -one time because like she's older. So she has her own walks and things like that. So like she lucked out because she's old and fat and lazy. So she gets to walk by herself and not come to the park or whatever. But the two boys, like they're always together. They're like one, but right. I used to. So Hendrix, my golden retriever, I don't know if you know my dogs. Oh yeah, I know um, your dogs. Okay. So Hendrix is my golden retriever. And when I first got him, he was like a year and a half old about, I don't know his exact age, but somewhere around there. And he was, he was crazy and he needed all sorts of training. And that's like how he fell into my lap, whatever. That's a whole story into itself. But I've had him for a while, like maybe six months or something. And I was like, this dog doesn't like me. And <laughs> I was convinced that like, he didn't love me. And I know it sounds like silly, like a dog trainer saying that, but like, I wanted my dog to like, like me, you know? And I was like, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. He just doesn't love me. And I, I, I said this to another trainer 
And Sabrina, do you know Sabrina? Yeah. Sure, sure. So I was, I remember talking to her about it and she's like, well, do you give him like one-on-one -on -one time, like, like solid one-on-one -on -one time? Yeah. And by that point already, like I had stopped giving him one-on-one -on -one times after the first like three weeks that he was with me, I kind of like treated it like a board and train, like you're in your program, like you got to get your shit together right. if you're going to live here. Right. And after that, I was like, okay, now you're part of my crew. Like we're going for walks as a group. Like we're going off leash as a group. Like this is how normal life looks around here. Right. And, and she's like, you have to give him like more solid one-on-one -on -one time. Right. Yeah. And I started doing that, like taking him for one-on-one -on -one walks or taking him to the bay and just letting him swim, just me and him playing fetch, yeah. just me and him. And I really felt our bond change. Like that's definitely what changed it. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not concerned about him not loving me now. He's crazy about me. It's too much yeah. actually, but, but like, it's just, a, it's an interesting thing that you bring it up because I definitely am guilty of that one. Like the two boys, they do everything together and yeah. I'm going to do that. All right, guys, you get separate walks today. Oh, lucky them. Yeah. yeah you can, you can thank Hillary. Yeah. Well, and when we, when we're done here, I'm, my husband and I are going to take all six dogs out for one giant group walk. So my dogs aren't getting it tonight. Pack walks are awesome, though. I've been doing a lot of yeah. pack walks recently because I live right near the beach and mm -hmm. we have a boardwalk that's beautiful. So like evening pack walks with like six or seven dogs. Besides that, it's great when everybody looks at me. I absolutely love it. Yeah. But it's also a lot of fun to have a group. Like we did a off-leash pack walk with six dogs last week. Wow. And it was a that's lot of awesome. fun. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I see your stuff all the time and I so envy your access to the bay. I have nothing like that near me. And that just like, it looks so wonderful. Yeah, the bay is cool. I live in like, like the most underrated part of New York City. Yeah. Because I'm like seven minute drive from the beach. I'm a two block walk from the bay. We have a park along the bay that's like a nature preserve. So like they can never build on it or anything. Oh, and it's wonderful. Like, that's like that trail that you see me take the dogs on sometimes. Yeah. And it's really perfect for like a dog training life because we have city life close enough mm -hmm. and then nature like right there also. So it's really perfect. I'm, I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. That's wonderful, Russ. You're very, you're very blessed. I am. Where are you exactly? Are you near Boston? I am in the town of Wellesley, which is where okay. the name um, Wellesley Dogs Train, Good Wellesley Dogs right. Train comes from. Wellesley is, I think, maybe eight miles west of Boston. So we are a suburb of Boston, gotcha. um, most notably known for Wellesley College. Um, so we are, we're a college town. We have Wellesley College and Babson College um, within the borders of Wellesley. And it's, it's, you know, a straight shot right out of Boston. We're a real, it, it's a, I won't say it's a bedroom community because there are tons of people that work and, you know, work in Wellesley and run businesses in Wellesley as well. But it's a, um, it's a suburb that's right outside of Boston. And, and it's, if we get in the car, we can go to the city very easily, but I could, you know, I, if I'm walking my dogs on the sidewalk in front of the stores, it's in a suburban town. <laughs> not, nice. it's not, it's not the city. Right. That's cool. It's perfect. I think dog training is good to have it close enough to the city, but where you can still have that peace. That's the way I feel about my area. So it's nice. All right. The big question, what's, because I know you've watched a bunch of these, so hopefully you didn't prepare, but what's, what's the one thing that you wish every dog owner knew? Oh, I wish every dog owner knew that it is kind to set limits and say no to your dog. 
it's unkind to let them run around and just do whatever because it's far more stressful for the dog. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Speak to it more. <laughs> okay, well. I feel, like, um, I feel like you stopped yourself. Well, I'm trying to keep it simple. I, I'm trying to keep it simple, Russ, because again, going back to movies and you know, that darn Marley and Me movie, you know, that, you know, the vast majority of the, the whole movie was ill-behaved, ill-behaved, awful-behaved dog. Yeah. Laugh, 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 love, love, love. Isn't this wonderful? That dog was living a horrible life. And then the last half hour of it was a tearjerker about the end of the dog's life. And, and, but unfortunately, you know, so many people just want that. They think that over-the-top energy is happy-go-lucky, and it's not. It's stress. And my dogs are so, I, I honestly, I think I have the happiest dogs in this town, but they live a structured, limit-filled life. And then they can be unlimited in their freedom because they are safe within the limits that I set for them. And I just wish people could trust the results instead of believing what the media has fed them before they become dog owners. You know, it's kind of like I always said I was the best parent there was until I had children. <laughs> you know? Yes. Lots of people are that way. And you think in your head you're going to be this amazing dog owner until you have a real dog and you have to deal with the types of things that real dogs do. I love that, actually. I love that. Um, I recently thought of a really good <clears throat> analogy for it because, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, I work with a lot of families, like mostly, mostly with families and mostly I'm addressing the mom most of the time. That's just yes. the way it goes. And <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. Um, I have to stop talking. And I was working with this family, right? And the mom was struggling, like it was the go home session and the mom was struggling with like the boundary idea and not the idea of like keeping my dog in place and not free roam, but sometimes boundaries looks like punishing your dog for something wrong, right? And things like that. And it's not the fun part of training, but it's the part of training that gets to the fun, right? And she had her two beautiful little kids sitting there, right? And I looked down to the backyard and they had a pool, right? And obviously there was a gate around the pool, right? And then around the rest of the backyard was an even bigger gate around the whole backyard. And I looked at her, I was like, why do you have that gate? And she's like, so my kids don't fall into the pool. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Why do you have the other gate like around the whole yard? She's like, so my kids can play outside by themselves like, and, and they can be safe and free. And I was like, right. And that's why we need boundaries for dogs. Like it's not a mean thing. It's when you right. set that fence, right? Mm -hmm. Now your dog gets to play just like, like one person could look at you and be like, that fence that you have for your children is horribly mean because you're not letting them really have freedom. Meanwhile, your kids feel free out there, loving life with their friends running around while you can go do laundry or go sit down and finally relax for a second because right. the kids are, are able to safely have freedom. And that's really, I think, what boundaries for a dog really is. It, it obviously could look very mean, right? It could yeah. be very look, mean looking to be like, you can't do what you want, right? Yeah. And like, Particularly when you haven't set any boundaries before. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it can feel harsh for someone who never knows what that is before, right? right? 
but when you have a bigger picture, like like just today, I was having this conversation with somebody, and she wasn't like arguing with me, so it was very polite dialogue. And she was saying, though, like some of the dogs that I work with, they don't look. Oops, did we lose you? There we are. You back? I'm here. Okay, cool. Yeah. So she was saying like that some of the dogs that I work with, they don't look messed up, but they don't look like they're playful. So I sent her a video of the exact same dogs that she was focusing on, but those four dogs with me in the field, all of us running together, right? And yeah. the point of it wasn't, I was like, I'm not trying to prove myself because I, I don't I don't need to do that, but I want you to see the clear difference, right? And these boundaries that when you see the dogs looking sad and not playful and all of that is what enabled us to go for that run, right? Yeah. Boundaries are beautiful. They are, they absolutely are. So well, thank you for having my me. My pleasure. This was awesome. I had a lot of fun. You want to tell everyone how they can find you, follow you, so everybody can see a oh, bunch absolutely. of the dogs. Um, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or my website, just put in any search bar, Good Wellesley Dogs, and all my stuff will come up. So if you have any dog, but particularly small or medium or fluffy dogs, and you want to see what can be done with them, by all means, just follow Yes, you guys should, because the little dogs that are trained are awesome. I love it. Thank All right. You, Thank you for coming on. This is a lot of fun. That I appreciate it. That was a lot it. of fun. Yeah, I had enjoyed it. a great time. It. Thank all you all right. for watching. Love you all. Hope you all have an awesome night. Remember to stay kind.